0: Welcome to uh, the Matthews takeover here at Doxa Church. You've heard it said a few times. My name is Tyson. I'm the worship leader here at Doxa. I am normally tasked with leading our body into worship through song. And this morning, I have the distinct privilege to do it with the word of God. About four months ago, when I was offered the opportunity to preach, I scrambled to find a text. Do I go with a gospel passage? I mean, Jesus is right there in the middle of it. We've been in the Sermon on the Mount. Do I go with an Old Testament prophecy that I can't figure out? So many options. But remaining in character as a worship leader, I landed on a psalm. In the Book of Common Prayer, this psalm is read, sung, and preached every third year. And after reading it and being challenged to slow down, and we had to slow down in that, right? Read that phrase over and over again. I knew this was the text the Lord would have me preach. This psalm is unique. And then it's the only psalm in the entire Psalter that has a constant repeated phrase throughout its entirety. And I found it helpful as we're going to be talking about it this morning. As Randy said, there is a, a refrain after every phrase. There is a claim made and then there's a word of acclaim. There's a statement and then there's a response of praise following that statement. The psalm was called the Great Hallel. It's where we get the word hallelujah or praise. The song is called Great Praise, and yet it never once says hallelujah in it. In fact, the psalm before it begins and ends with hallelujah. And yet this was the great praise, the great hallel. It's because in Israel, they incited more praise than any other psalm would. And the psalm would have been read exactly how we read it. The Levites leading the service would have said the phrase and the people and the congregation would have responded for his steadfast love endures forever. And so we got to participate in an ancient tradition where we got to say over and over and over again that his steadfast love endures forever. I find that special. The movement of this psalm is one of Formation. The rhythm and cadence requires one to reflect, rejoice, rest, and remain. If you're a note taker, I'm going to say that again. The rhythm and cadence requires one to reflect, rejoice, rest, and remain. My hope for us as a church today is that we would be able to join with the rhythm of ancient Israel as they found their foundation, their identity, and hope in God. Before we continue, I just want to pray. And uh, I want to invite you to pray with me. Um, Pray for my heart. I need prayer. Pray for the hearts of everyone here in this room and uh, pray for those that maybe will hear this message afterwards. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your steadfast love endures forever. That in and of itself is enough. It's good enough to know that. But Lord, I pray by your Holy Spirit here among us that you would make that saying true in our hearts. That it wouldn't be something that we just profess with our minds that we can intellectually agree with, but it's something that is spurring us on into praise as it did Israel. Father, I pray that we would find Jesus in this psalm. That in reading this psalm and in learning about this psalm, that we would see our Lord and Savior Jesus in the text. That he is the one that we find steadfast love in. Lord, speak through me this morning. If it's my my words alone, Lord, it's worthless. We need you. Move among us. Do what only you can do. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So, this psalm requires us to reflect. To reflect, we have to slow down and for good reason. The author of this psalm could have easily listed all of the faithful deeds of God and then ended with, for his steadfast love endures forever, but they didn't. 26 times you repeat that phrase, and 26 times you have to stop. The author, and I believe the Lord, wants us as the readers to slow down, to really consider all that he'd done, to not breeze through in some vain sense of accomplishment upon reading. And recounting everything. But instead, to give our souls a chance to soak in the truthfulness of that phrase, for his steadfast love endures forever, because it does. And it requires us to reflect on the love, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness of God, not just for the Israelites, but for us too. Did you notice those words? The love. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Those are the most common translations of the Hebrew word hesed. Translated in the ESV as steadfast love or my favorite, CSB, faithful love. We sang about it, his faithful love. He is faithful till the end. Those words, do they sound familiar? Love, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. They should. We preached on it for many weeks. But I'll read the passage. If you want to turn with me, it's Galatians 5. I'm going to start in verse 22 and go to 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, Faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things, there is no law. Why is this the fruit of the Spirit? Well, not to oversimplify, I mean, we spent weeks in this amazing text, but it's because it is who our God is. In reflecting upon this psalm, we are met with the very character And nature of our God towards us. He loves us. He loves you. He cares for you. He is with you. Emmanuel, God with us, light into our darkness. It's what we've been celebrating for his steadfast love endures forever. And we don't reflect, we don't just reflect on that phrase, but we are forced to stop and see all these claims as representations of God's love. I want to do an exercise. You don't have to read with me. But we're just going to walk through the psalm and I'm just going to read the claims. We're going to skip for his steadfast love endures forever. We're going to consider each phrase as something worth praising God for. Right? The first nine... Are easy. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Give thanks to the God of gods. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. To him who alone does great wonders. To him who by understanding made the heavens. To him who spread out the earth above the waters. To him who made the great lights the sun to rule over the day, the moon and stars to rule over the night. To him. Who struck down the firstborn of Egypt? That one's hard. And brought Israel out from among them, praise God, with a strong hand and an outstretched arm to him who divided the Red Sea in two and made Israel pass through the midst of it, but overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea. To him who led his people through the wilderness. To him who struck down great kings and killed mighty kings. And then the name drop, Sihon, king of the Amorites, and Og, king of Bashan. This is heavy stuff. The killing of firstborns, the slaughtering of kings, and even great kings. What is the psalmist getting at? I admit my first time doing this exercise, it was incredibly difficult for me to read those phrases alone and attribute steadfast or faithful love to them. My 21st century middle-class mind didn't know how to reconcile steadfast love with firstborns dying. But to a people set apart by God and yet captive in a foreign land, this was gospel. This was good news. For them and through them it read, Our God does what he says. Our God is stronger than our captors. Praise God. Our God is greater than kings. Cue Chris Tomlin. If you grew up in the church, you know that one. Even Sihon and Og. And to make it more relevant to us, our God is greater than political leaders and rivals no matter which side of the aisle you tend to lean Let's continue reading. He gave their inheritance, he gave their land as a heritage, a heritage to Israel, his servant. It is he who remembered us in our low estate. Now it's personal, and rescued us from our foes. He who gives food to all flesh. Give thanks to the God of heaven. For his steadfast love endures forever. Reflecting upon the goodness of God in the claims of the psalm naturally leads or maybe should naturally lead one from reflection into rejoicing. I recently opened a book. I got to, I had the privilege of going to uh, Mepkin Abbey in Charleston or right outside of Charleston last weekend and uh, there I, I opened up a book, literally read a paragraph, but it led me to an anecdote. So <laughs> I opened the book. It's called The Road to Joy, where it starts off with a letter to the author's good friend and famous poet, Mark Van Doren. He opens up by saying, Mark Van Doren needs no introduction, and then proceeds to give quite a lengthy introduction, sharing his accomplishments and then his personal relation to himself. And, I believe this psalm is much like that. In the beginning, it starts off with our Lord as good. He is the God of gods and the Lord of lords. Great. Close the book. No introduction needed. Let's praise. But then it continues. And it continues more with reason after reason for why our God is worth praising. And he surely is. Amen. I warned you at the beginning. I want to read this psalm one more time. I know it's long. But after giving some context and foundation to the psalm, I want us to sit in it. With some more intentionality, not just trying to get through it. But let's sit in it. So we're going to read the psalm one more time. <clears throat> I've read the psalm like 400 times. <laughs> Four months is a long time to think on a passage. And if you would, as we did in the scripture reading, respond with me, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him. Who alone does great wonders. For his steadfast love endures forever. To him. Who by understanding made the heavens. his steadfast love endures forever. To him. Who spread out the earth above the waters. For his steadfast love endures forever. To him. Who made the great lights. For his steadfast love endures forever. The sun to rule over the day for his steadfast love endures forever, the moon and stars to rule over the night, for his steadfast love endures forever, to him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, for his steadfast love endures forever, yes it does, and brought Israel out from among them, for his steadfast love endures forever, with a strong hand and outstretched arm, for his steadfast love endures forever, to him who divided the Red Sea in two, for his steadfast love endures forever and made Israel pass through the midst of it. For his steadfast love endures forever, but overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who led his people through the wilderness, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who struck down great kings, for his steadfast love endures forever, and killed mighty kings. For steadfast love endures forever. Sihon, king of the Amorites, for steadfast love endures forever. And Og, king of Bashan, for steadfast love endures forever, and gave their land as a heritage. For steadfast love endures forever, a heritage to Israel, his servant. For his steadfast love endures forever. It is he. Who remembered us in our low estate? For His steadfast love endures forever, and rescued us from our foes. For His steadfast love endures forever. He who gives food to all flesh. For His steadfast love. Docks of church Give thanks to the God of heaven, for His steadfast love endures forever. Amen. In this movement, again, if you're taking notes, we're, we're in rejoice this movement after reading the psalm we are to be thrust into praise after all this is the great hallel we should be jumping up with praise and thanksgiving screaming hallelujah and some of us really want to and if that's you please do (laughs) don't be shy carolyn and i can't carry the energy of the spirit moving here at doxa And yet, there is a sense in which great joy is not our immediate or natural response. In fact, it's far from it. The past two years, which, if we're honest, has felt a lot more like 10, has been a whirlwind of emotion, loss, tragedy, illness, pain, death, trauma. Every one of us have been recipients of such things. Things like political unrest. Racial injustice, disunity in the church, a worldwide pandemic, natural disaster, church scandal after church scandal, forced and even desired isolation, mental health decline, loss of employment, loss of homes, loss of lives, so many lives. The list honestly keeps going. We're all feeling it, we're tired. Hasn't that become the normal response? How are you doing? I'm tired. Used to be busy. Now I'm just tired. We're all tired. And it's become increasingly more difficult to believe that phrase for some of us, for his steadfast love endures forever. For some of us, we're hoping that if we just keep saying it, then maybe we'll start to believe it ourselves. And maybe there's some wisdom in that. But if that's you, I just want to pause and say to you, welcome, fellow stumbling saint. You're in the right place. The list that I went through almost requires a phrase like Psalm 136 after every line. Something like, his steadfast love really needs to endure forever. Or maybe for you, it's, Lord, is your steadfast love still enduring and that's okay. There are many Psalms in the Psalter just like that. Lord, where are you? My enemies rise up against me. They prosper. They're winning. They're laughing. Where are you? But there's always hope at the end. The Israelites had silence from the Lord for 400 years before the light of the world entered into our darkness. The most important part of that phrase for them would have been indoors forever. It can't just be for my ancestors. It must be for us too. It is for us too. The scriptures do have something to say about pain and suffering though. We don't necessarily need to look past the life and death of our Lord Jesus in his promise that if we follow him into suffering and into death, that we will follow him also into his resurrection. We don't have to look past that. But I am drawn to Eugene Peterson's beautiful translation of Romans 5, 3 through 5. It goes like this. There's more to come. Amen. There's more to come. We continue to shout our praise even when we are hemmed in with troubles. Because we know how troubles can develop passionate patience in us. And how that patience in turn forges the tempered steel of virtue, keeping us alert for whatever God will do next. In alert expectancies such as this, we're never left feeling shortchanged, quite the contrary. We can't round up enough containers to hold everything God generously pours into our lives through the Holy Spirit. What a word picture. There's not enough Tupperware sitting around that could hold everything God generously pours into our lives through the Holy Spirit. It's similar kind of to what John had to say at the end of his gospel account, that if he were to have written all they witnessed Jesus do, that there wouldn't be a book in all of the world big enough to contain it. Grace and I, this Christmas season, I I wish Jim and Jean were here with us. Uh, We got to go see Christmas with the Chosen with Jim and Jean. And uh, if you've never seen the Chosen, it's a, a beautiful TV show about the life of Jesus going through the gospel accounts. You should definitely watch it but they did a Christmas special. And uh, the speaker, after describing the gospel story of Christ coming, living, healing, teaching, suffering, dying, and then resurrecting, the speaker said, quote, sounds too good to be true. But if there's one thing you could say our God does a little bit too much of, goes a little overboard with, it's goodness and truth. What a sweet picture of abundance. Something truly worth rejoicing in. And rejoicing is what this psalm beckons us to do, but ultimately rest, I believe, what our Lord Jesus, the one whom this psalm is about, rest is what he's calling us into. True joy is a result of peace. Rejoicing flows from Rest. Rest. One of my favorite quotes from scripture, and you've heard me say it many times in calling you all to worship is at the end of Matthew 11. You can read along if you'd like. We're gonna start in verse 28. That's a nice sound. (laughs) Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. I love this. I could read it over and over and over again. And we tend to always quote this part. But rarely do we read what Jesus had to say just right before this in the very same breath. Start in verse 25. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. You have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows the son except the father, and no one knows the father except the son. And anyone to whom the son chooses to reveal him, come to me. For some of us, the steadfast love of God that we've been talking about just, uh, it's not a reality. We do not really know the father. And if the past two years have been any indicator, that steadfast love and goodness has left the building, if it were ever there. If that's you, hear Jesus call to you this morning, come to me. Come to me. Are you tired? Have you been carrying it all? Come to me. Find rest in me. And maybe this morning you're like, look, I know the Father and I love Jesus and all. But when you call me to reflect on things, rejoicing is just not my natural response. If that's you, then hear Jesus' same words to you. Come and find rest in me. Not in your understanding. Not in your success. Not in your career. Not in your family. In me. You revealed these things to little children. Do you remember what it's like to be a child? To have the trust and faith when it just doesn't make sense. Because it didn't need to. I, uh, I read a book this about a week and a half ago sure many of you have read it it's by Corey ten boom it's called the hiding place it's a beautiful story true story of um a believer in nazi occupied holland and uh i'm not gonna give the whole synopsis of the book but it's a story of faith and if you want to be challenged and realize how shallow your faith really is i encourage you to read this but there's a story, an anecdote that she gives in early on in the book, and she's recounting uh, when she was younger, a story of her and her father. I'm just going to read from the passage. Oftentimes I would use the trip home to bring up things that were troubling me. Since anything I asked at home was promptly answered by the aunts. Once, I must have been 10 or 11, I asked father about a poem we had read at school the winter before, One line had described, quote, a young man whose face was not shadowed by sex sin. I had been far too shy to ask the teacher what it meant and mama had blushed scarlet when I consulted her. In those days, just after the turn of the century, sex was never discussed at home, so the line had stuck in my head. Sex, I was pretty sure, meant whether you were a boy or a girl and sin made Tante Jan's very angry. But what the two together meant, I could not imagine. And so, seated next to Father in the train compartment, I suddenly asked, Father, what is sex in? <laughs> He turned to look at me, as he always did when answering a question. But to my surprise, he said nothing. At last, he stood up, lifted his traveling case from the rack over our heads, and set it on the floor. Will you carry it off the train, Corey, he said. I stood up and tugged at it It was crammed with the watches And spare parts he had purchased that morning It's too heavy I said (laughs) Yes, he said And it would be a pretty poor father Who would ask his little girl to carry such a load It's the same way, Corey, with knowledge Some knowledge is too heavy for children When you are older and stronger You can bear it For now, you must trust me To carry it for you And I was satisfied. More than satisfied. Wonderfully at peace. There were answers to this and all my hard questions for sure. But for now, I was content to leave them in my Father's keeping. Can we say the same? Are we content to leave these things in our Father's keeping? Not ignore them. Can we entrust them to him? Or as Jesus' disciple Peter said in his first letter, cast all your anxiety and cares upon him because he cares for you. He loves us. He loves you. He cares for you. He is with you, for his steadfast love endures forever. There, rest is found. Here, Rest is found. So, in thinking about these ideas of reflecting, rejoicing, and resting, the question arises: How can I remain here? How can this way of being not just be a fleeting possibility, but instead become at my core who I am? Jesus said in Matthew seven twenty four Therefore, everyone who hears these words mine and puts them into practice. It's like a wise man who built his house on the rock. So I have a few practices that I believe could be a great help in that direction. And if you're taking notes, this is remain. The first one would be, well, read this psalm. It doesn't only pertain to ancient Israel. Jesus sang and memorized this psalm himself. It was speaking of him after all. Read this psalm. Let this be a start. Take in over and over and over again the steadfast love that endures for you, for all of us. Two, find passages of scripture that incite praise, instill identity, and provide hope and memorize them. A uh, few that could be good to start could be Exodus fourteen fourteen, Romans ten twelve, Isaiah forty twenty eight, Psalm forty six one, James one seventeen. The list goes on, and there are plenty of helpful apps resources available. I know that my wife got an incredibly thoughtful resource from the women's gathering this year. It's a set of cards on one side showing. God's attributes. And on the other side, it has a verse to memorize pertaining to that attribute. It's beautiful. Every morning, she wakes up and reads one and sits in that. Maybe try with something simple like that. Find a verse. And there are tons of resources available. In fact, I was going to point to her and call her out, but Brianna Thomas, who's in charge of our resource table, um, she's not here this Sunday, but If you're uh, able to find her another Sunday, I'm sure she could point you to way better resources than I could. Three, create a list of ways the Lord has personally proven his steadfast love in your life. Revisit this list and add to it. This simple practice will help you see yourself in God's story. Dave Howington, who's in our C group, shared that he has a list just like this. When things get difficult and he's feeling weary, he goes to his list and he recounts all that the Lord had done and finds rest and joy in that. I want to make it clear, though, that uh, this is not an exhaustive list by any stretch, and it will probably and should definitely look a little different for all of us. And if I'm being completely honest, I don't have a list like that. I don't have a list of all the ways God has been faithful to me I was just deeply encouraged and moved in the faith by a brother alongside me who does and I don't have a stack of cards of God's character or attributes that I'm reading in my morning quiet time so that I can be more faithful in memorizing God's word but I was deeply inspired and spurred on by my wife who runs after the Lord in ways I only hope to one day this is not all on you We've got a bug flying around. (laughs) It's not all on you. Look around. Literally, look around. You have brothers and sisters alongside you in the faith that will spur you on and encourage you towards the steadfast love of the Lord. You're not alone. And last would be to join with the rhythms of God's people. This one I would have loved to flesh out a little bit more, but we only have so much time, right? At the beginning, I said my hope for us as a church is that we would be able to join with the rhythm of ancient Israel as they found their foundation, identity, and hope in God. How did Israel, amidst 400 years of silence, Roman occupation, tyrannical kings, rising factions, tribes, and divisions, find their foundation, identity, and hope rooted in Yahweh, their God? I think the answer to this question is just as fruitful, just as relevant for us and today as it was for ancient Israel all the way up and through the incarnation of our Lord Jesus, out of faith, and I think that is key, out of faith. They committed themselves to certain practices, prayers and feasts that would remind them of who they were and where they were going. As we read in the psalm this morning, quote, he led his people into the wilderness for his steadfast love endures forever. The wilderness was to ancient Israel what the now and not yet kingdom of God is to us. The wilderness was to ancient Israel what the now and not yet kingdom of God is to us. God established among his people certain rules and feasts like Sabbath and Passover that would point back to God's steadfast love and point forward to a promised hope. Sabbath was a way of practicing and experiencing rest and peace now in the midst of the wilderness as a reflection of what was to come, while yearly feasts like Passover or Jubilee every seven years represented a celebration and freedom that would one day be permanent and never ending. Does this sound familiar? It should. This is intentional, but 52 times this morning we have read for his steadfast love endures forever. 52 times a year we pause and recount that steadfast love found in the life, death, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus. On Passover night before his crucifixion, while all of Jerusalem was gathered to celebrate a feast of remembrance and liberty, Jesus was gathered with his disciples just as he is this morning among us, saying, Hey, remember those firstborn that were slaughtered for a steadfast love endures forever? Yeah, that's me. I am the firstborn of God. Come here to be slaughtered for you. Remember those lambs slain to protect God's people for his steadfast love endures forever? Yeah, that's me. I am the lamb of God. Come to cleanse you of all sin and unrighteousness. Come to me. And he took the bread and broke it and said, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat. And then the same way he took the cup looking at his disciples and said, this cup that is poured out for you is my new covenant in my blood. Take and drink. This is my steadfast love for you. Even unto death, even death on a cross. Later on in the book, this quote struck me. Love, how did one show it? How could God himself show truth and love at the same time in a world like this? By dying. The answer stood out for me sharper and chillier than it ever had before that night. The shape of a cross etched on the history of the world. But the steadfast love of God became enduring when our slaughtered Savior became a risen king. You see, resurrection is not just some doctrine we agree or disagree on. It is the Christian hope. It is our hope. As disciples of Jesus, it is what we await. And so communion, the fulfilled Passover, is not just a time of remembrance, but a time of anticipation and expectation for our God to continue to be the God who does what he says he's going to do? Do you believe it? Communion, though, is a meal for the believer. Whether you call docxa home or not, if you call Jesus Lord of all this table is for you. If this morning you are unsure or very sure that you do not follow this Jesus, then I ask that you would refrain. From participating in communion. But I invite you and strongly urge you to not let this time and space pass by. This is not wasted. I encourage you to consider, and as Jesus said, count the cost of following Jesus and find someone to talk to about it. Randy and Dale, Tad, elders are present. Hopefully it will be somebody in the back in the prayer area or somebody that brought you this morning. Tell someone about it. What a joy it would be for us to celebrate with you along with all of heaven at such a decision. Now I'm about to pray and we're going to take communion together. If this is your first time here at Doxo, we do two stations at the front and you come as you feel led. There will be a a wafer that they will hand you and a cup of juice that they will hand you. Take and receive the broken body of Jesus and the blood poured out for you in remembrance of the sacrifice he made, but with anticipation of what he's going to do. Let's pray. Father, your steadfast love endures forever. Thank you, Father, that it's not just something we have to hold on to, but you have proven it on the cross. In the life and death and resurrection of your son, Jesus, your love endures forever. It is for us here and this morning Lord, lead us into a deeper and deeper and deeper understanding of that love as your children, we pray. Amen.